Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins of North Christian Church. Uh, this is the Resurrection Sunday special, April 12th, 2020. Uh, before we dig in, though, someone wants to say hello to you. Hello, my dear congregation. Um, I just want to take a moment to say hello. Um, I know that you're probably just missing this mug. <laughs> These are the things I tell myself. Anyways, um, I just want to say that I miss you all and that um, I hope you all have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I hope you enjoy this message. Uh, certainly from the Spirit, just as they all have been. And um, hopefully you've enjoyed what the Spirit's been doing in the ministry uh, in the absence of the building. Uh, I'm, uh, I, for one, am uh, extremely elated with um, the grace that He's shown us all and the consistency uh, that He's shown us all uh, in the absence of our ability to gather together. Uh, live. So um, I just again want to say hello at the beginning of this thing and wish you all a very happy uh, Resurrection Sunday, a time of reflection, uh, a time to just be with the Lord um, and just wonder at His grace. So uh, again, I just want to say hi. I uh, hope you don't mind. Um, hope it wasn't presumptuous. I didn't shave, obviously. Uh, this is how it is um, when you speak to a screen. Uh, in any case, uh, again, I, I miss you, I love you, and I'm looking forward to uh, being behind my pulpit again sometime soon. Okay, until then, love you. Bye. Mwah. Okay, stop. Pause this video now, if you need to, and grab a small piece of bread, cracker, or equivalent, and a sip of wine or juice or equivalent so we can uh, go right into communion service at the end of this message. Okay, let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together, of fellowshipping in this special way, on this special occasion, Father. What a tremendous time to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you resurrected <coughs> from the dead, Father. What an incredible privilege it is to understand this and to have our hope rest in it, Father. We're just so grateful for all that you've done um, through the work on the cross and then, of course, through the resurrection of our Lord. Father, we pray for those that are still ill in the congregation, that they be edified by this message, that it find them well and comforted uh, by your grace and your mercy and your love. We also pray, Father, especially in this moment in time on this day, that those that are still lost in this world find their way uh, to salvation, that you humble them and uh, that they receive the gospel truth of your Son and repent and receive saving faith, Father. What a wonderful gift that is. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to give us proof through his own resurrection that our hope is not in vain, our faith is not in vain, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. 
We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Resurrection Sunday special. The Spirit wants me to, to take a different tact uh, this time around, uh, and he wants us to focus our attention on leadership. Leadership. Um, as I reflected back on this ministry, I know that I've written and taught about leadership several times in my life, and every time the one person I have in mind is Jesus Christ. Uh, some of you might recall my teaching you that leadership isn't just about leading other people, say, you know, on the job or in an organization even. Uh, I think that's the, you know, that's the worldly viewpoint that, um, you know, that's, that's the truest form of leadership, let's say. But it's not. When I think about leadership, uh, my first thought nowadays is always about followership. In other words... Up here on the board, leadership perspective. Leadership isn't really leadership if no one chooses to follow. If the only way a person can demand respect from others is through organizational rank, they aren't really leaders. Again, leadership isn't really leadership if no one chooses to follow. Uh, if the only way a person can you know, demand respect from others is through organizational rank, they aren't really leaders. Uh, I suppose, no, I know a lot of leaders don't understand the point on the board, which is why uh, they aspire to a position without concern for actually leading others properly. Now, why do I suppose I understand this while, say, others don't? Well, two words. Follow me. Uh, an awful lot uh, is impregnated into this short phrase, this two-word phrase that Jesus used frequently, follow me, Matthew 9, Mark 2.14, Luke 5.27, John 1.43, Jesus said, follow me in all these passages, Mark 8.34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, if anyone, in other words, wants to uh, follow my lead, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, looking at that and understanding the context of Jesus's ministry, that could have been perceived as pretty audacious, right? Coming from someone whom a lot of people didn't really even know all that well, couldn't it? I mean, I think so. And yet, people followed him, and they still are, just like you. Again, nowadays, when I think about leadership, my first thought is about followership. Now, I need you to wrap your head around this because you might otherwise miss the point of this message, at least the, the linchpin of it. Try to get your, your mind thinking from a follower's perspective instead of a leader's. Um, even though we're pondering leadership, try to get your mind thinking from a follower's perspective, instead of a leader's, uh, even though we're pondering leadership. Another way to think about what the Spirit's trying to say here is that leadership doesn't really exist in the absence of followers. Leadership doesn't really exist in the absence of followers. So it's the, the following that substantiates or validates leadership, right? 
It's the following part that substantiates or validates leadership. A so-called, you know, quote, leader without any followers is a wannabe. Uh, someone who, you know, proclaims a position but really isn't worthy of the post. Again, a so-called leader without any followers uh, is a wannabe, uh, someone who proclaims a position but really isn't worthy of the post. Here's the point that true leadership isn't something that is seized. Uh, rather, it is granted by the presence of followers. You see? True leadership isn't seized. It's granted by the presence of followers. All we have to do is think about Jesus' personal ministry. We might say that the, the fruit of his leadership was that he actually had followers. The fruit of Jesus's leadership was that he actually had followers, right? Up here on the board, Jesus Christ said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. That's Matthew 12, 33. That's something Jesus said. Would you call Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, a leader? Yes, of course, but the question on the table is why? Why is it so easy for us to say, of course he's a leader? Because the tree is known by its fruit. A, a leader is known by his fruit or his followers, right? I mean, that's his fruit. A leader is known by his fruit, his followers. So, for example, um, many say, and uh, or may, may we say in full confidence that uh, you are a follower of his? But correct, that's true, right? I mean, you are a follower of his. So again, you may say in full confidence that you are a follower of, of his, correct? All right. And by virtue of that one undeniable intimate truth that exists in your soul as a source of supreme confidence in the hope that lies in you, by evidence of that alone, you can say that Jesus Christ is the leader he says he is because you follow him. You personally are his fruit, thus satisfying the dynamic we opened up with in this message up here on the board. Again, from a leadership perspective, leadership isn't really leadership if no one chooses to follow. If the only way a person can demand respect from others is through organizational rank, they aren't really leaders. So, if we can agree that Jesus Christ is a true leader based on the fact that he has followers, then let's take this full circle. Let's now turn our attention to the authority of a true leader. Okay, so if we can at least agree that he is a true leader uh, by virtue of having fruit, that is, followers that actually follow him, um, we need, let's take this to the next step then. So we're going to turn our attention now to the authority of that same person, uh, that, that true leader. Uh, this is something that Jesus did plainly, and we'll find out uh, later why. Uh, for now, let's just agree to the fact that Jesus is a true leader. He's the greatest of all time, actually, and that such leaders have authority based on the veracity of their position. 
right? The truthfulness of it. They are a true leader. Um, again, let's just agree to the fact that Jesus is a true leader and that such leaders have authority based on the veracity of their position. I want to read a passage now on this topic. Go to Luke 14, verse 25. Luke 14, 25. I'm going to get a sip of water here. Luke 14, verse 25. Luke 14, 25 reads, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Now it's important, obviously, the context here, right? Because not everyone followed him. Uh, and some people followed him for a little while. Um, but nonetheless, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. And remember, I taught you about that hate by comparison. In other words, love him so much that any other relationship becomes hate by comparison. And even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You can't be a true follower. And this is, this is the uh, prerogative, if you would. Of a true leader. They have the authority to say, uh, you cannot be my follower unless you abide by, uh, let's say, my leadership parameters. Um, again, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, cannot follow me. So he's laying down the law. You see, he's a true leader. This we've already established. But true leaders also have authority. Verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. <clears throat> Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Therefore, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, he lays down the law. You see, the, the true leader has no problem laying down the law, saying, you know, if, you, if you're going to proclaim to be a follower of mine, uh, if you're even going to carry my name, think about it, we're called Christians, Christ, right, for a reason. It, uh, the leader has the uh, right to say, uh, well, this is how you're going to be then. This is how it's going to be as a follower. Otherwise, uh, you're not really a follower of mine. So therefore, again, verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple, cannot, quote, follow me. Verse 34, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. pile. Uh, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So again, Jesus Christ didn't hold back. He was a true leader, uh, and true leaders have authority to put in place certain parameters for followers. So 
Well, again, what was Jesus, you know, really saying in this passage? And how does it relate to this leadership concept that the Spirit seems to be uh, hyper-focusing even our attention on this Resurrection Sunday? Well, in brief, followers surrender certain rights to their leaders. That's the litmus test that, that must be passed in order for true authority orientation to exist between leader and fo uh, follower, right? There's a certain surrendering that goes on. In other words, as I've taught you many times in the past, a person can't claim that they are authority-oriented if they pick and choose when to obey their leaders. Uh, here's the point. Up on the board, again, leadership rights. Uh, a leader has a right to denounce counterfeit followers. That's what we just saw. In Jesus' case, he made a point of informing people about the criteria of claiming to be one of his sheep. After all, only those true followers will be a part of the resurrection of believers. Ah, see, now here comes the connective tissue, right? Uh, we have a leadership position, we have authority, and in that authority, the leader says, uh-uh, if you're going to follow me out of death into life, if you're going to follow uh, me in my resurrection, then you have to you have to abide in my rules. This is this is to use a, a lax term. This is my game, right? I get to decide. I get to define what the boundary conditions are for salvation itself. Again, a leader has a right to denounce counterfeit followers. In Jesus's case, he made a point of informing people about the criteria of claiming to be one of his sheep. He said, if you don't do this and this, then you cannot be one of my sheep. After all, only those true followers will be a part of the resurrection of believers. And there's our connective tissue to Resurrection Sunday. Isn't that what Jesus was really saying uh, in Luke 14, after all? Yeah. Was he, was he drawing attention to those who might, you know, follow, follow him around while he was here on earth, you know, during his ministry? Or were his sights set infinitely higher? Uh, was he really trying to convey something much greater uh, than just, you know, follow me around like a puppy dog here on earth because maybe maybe you'll benefit from a miracle or something like that? No, his sights were set infinitely higher. I mean, listen up. Here's the pivot point in this Resurrection Sunday message. So listen up. Go to John 14, 1. <clears throat> John 14, verse 1. John 14, verse 1. Here's the pivot point, folks, okay? In this Resurrection Sunday message, there's a reason why the Spirit uh, has us focused on leadership uh, in this message. It's starting to come together. You see, John 14, 1. Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So we have our leader now saying these things to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, or you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Do you see? No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, I will lead you there. That's what he's basically saying. I will lead you there. I am the leader here. You are the followers. Let me lead you. I will lead you there. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, I will lead you there. So let's capture this thought now. Up here on the board, leading from point A to point B. Plainly stated, a leader leads. That's what they do. There's movement, right? There's a progression. You know, it's, it's I'm going to lead you from this place to that one. From this estate to that one. From this condition to that condition. From this state of mind to that state of mind. Uh, a leader leads. Leadership implies movement, uh, whether in thought or action. When Jesus said, follow me, or you cannot be my disciple, where, where was he proposing we are all going? I'll give you a hint. We're all born spiritually dead, bound to death itself. There's your hint. Again, leading from point A to point B. Think of Jesus Christ. A leader leads. Leadership implies movement, whether in thought or action. So when Jesus said, follow me or you cannot be my disciple, where was he proposing we are all going? I mean, where, where's the movement from where to where? What's point A and what point B? I'm giving you point A. Hint, this is point A. We're all born spiritually dead, bound to death itself. That's our point A condition. So step back now and employ all of those amazing skills the Spirit's been teaching you lately on how to, you know, see the big picture. Step way back, really, honestly, step way, way back. Uh, get all the white noise, you know, all the little nuances of the spiritual life. Just sort of let them uh, remove, be removed from focus. Step way back and conceptualize just two things, death and life. Death and life. Point A and point B. If we're born spiritually dead, and we remain put as unbelievers. We die physically and die in our sins. Remaining dead spiritually, separated from the love of God for all of eternity. In other words, there's no movement. Jesus hasn't led us anywhere because we have rejected his leadership. True leaders can't exist. We know this. True leaders can't exist and not everyone follows them. Jesus hasn't led us anywhere. If we remain in our sins, Jesus hasn't led us anywhere because we have rejected his leadership. However, if we're born again and saved, we are true followers of Christ and we are led by him to eternal life. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? No one comes to the Father but through me. We just read that. Again, the point on the board though, leading from point A to point B, a leader leads. This is what Jesus did. He's leading, he's led, he's leading us. He leads. Leadership implies movement, whether in thought or action. So when Jesus said, follow me or you cannot be my disciple, where was he proposing we're all going? The hint, point A, we're all born spiritually dead, bound to death itself. So again, considering that big picture perspective, Jesus Christ, our leader, has led us. You ready? From death to life. Jesus Christ, our leader, has led us from death 
to life. He is sent to earth. He was sent. Think about this. He was sent to earth to be that leader for us. He was sent to earth to be that leader for us in every way. Go to John 3.16. John 3.16. Again, he was sent to earth for this very purpose, to be that leader for us in every way. And this is, this is why we're uh, focused on leadership on this Resurrection Sunday, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only son. In other words, our Father in heaven sent Jesus Christ to lead us out of spiritual death to eternal life in himself. You see, point A, point B, big picture. That's the whole span of, of God's plan, right, of salvation, Again, the, our Father in Heaven sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to lead us. We needed this leadership. We were stuck at point A. We needed someone to lead us to point B. Again, our Father in Heaven sent Jesus Christ to lead us out of spiritual death to eternal life in Himself. Those who follow Him follow the pattern that He set while on earth. He went to the grave in order that He could be resurrected. That's the only way out of the grave, right? He went to the grave in order that he could be resurrected. Like Paul wrote about years later in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In other words, if you want the fruit, you want the, uh, you want the magnificent fruit after, you've got to plant the seed, you've got to put the seed in the ground. In other words, we've got to be buried in order to be resurrected anew. That's the pattern right? And Jesus went through it. And so again, we've got to be buried. We've got to be put in the ground in order to be resurrected. His resurrection then is the reason we have hope in our own resurrection. His resurrection is the reason we have hope in our own resurrection. Put it in big grand scheme of things. If he, if he wasn't able to be resurrected, what hope would we have being in him? Jesus Christ did precisely what any true leader does. He carved a pathway for those to follow in his footsteps. Do you see it? He carved a pathway for those to follow in his footsteps. I hope you see it. Um, as I uh, warned at the outs outset of this message, again, if you miss this point, you miss the linchpin of the message. So, you know, please take pause if you have to. Remember, this is a recorded message, so... You have the ability uh, to, to pause the message right now. If you need to think about it for a few extra moments, uh, I would recommend you keep on going. But if you need to just for a moment, uh, do it. Uh, I would recommend maybe coming back um, at a later time and listening to this message again. Um, again, take pause if you have to, but please take the time to understand what I'm trying to teach you here. In order for anyone to truly claim victory, over death, they must first be conquerors of it. In other words, you can't leave point A until you conquer it to get over it, right? To go to point B. So for anyone to truly claim victory over death, I mean, that's the essence of resurrection, right? So they must first be conquerors 
of death. And since we don't have the power, but Christ does, right? So we lean on him. As we like to, you know, wax poetic from time to time, we say, you know, Christ was born to die. But my friends, that isn't the real issue when it comes to conquering death, right? That's not the real issue. Even, even an unbeliever uh, dies, right? That's not the real issue. The proof of someone overcoming death is in resurrection. You see, that's the proof. The proof of someone overcoming death is in resurrection. That's where all of the symbolism lies in water baptism, right? We go underwater only to be lifted out. And it's the lifting out that represents the resurrection life in Christ Jesus. Go to John eleven twenty five. John 11, verse 25. Again, the proof of overcoming death is in resurrection. That's where the proof uh, lie, right? John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's... Talk about leadership, right? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? As most of you uh, know, just for the sake of context, Jesus was imparting this big picture perspective, in, perspective into Martha's head during that famous scene with her, her and her sister um, Mary regarding Lazarus, the death of Lazarus, their brother. Jesus, though, was leading her. Do you see it? Jesus was leading Martha in this scene. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. <coughs> Excuse me. Martha had but an abstract, <coughs> excuse me, understanding of resurrection. But Jesus was telling her to make it personal to make it meaningful on a supreme level. And that's the same lesson for us to learn on a day like this. Uh, we shouldn't just be thinking about, okay, everybody's going to be resurrected. It's just pie in the sky thing. No, we need to live the resurrection life. I mean, we draw uh, our faith from this reality. So it's a supreme level that we're after of understanding. So maybe some of you even, you know, I don't know, uh, suffer the way Martha did with your own understanding of resurrection. Maybe it's just this abstract thing out there that, you know, you sort of believe in, you understand it, but you're not, you're not really clinging to it the way you should. The Bible teaches us, uh, to help you with this, the Bible teaches us that without resurrection, our faith would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain up here on the board. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Ouch, right? Again, if Christ has not been raised, in, in other words, if he, if he wasn't resurrected, then our faith is in vain. You see it? We, if, he has, if he's not resurrected, we have no hope of resurrection. We have no hope of being or coming out of the grave uh, in a glorious way. To be glorified at the end of all this. We have no hope. And therefore, what, is, what does that say about the faith that we have? It's in vain. Right? We might as well not even have it, so to speak. Again, if Christ has not been raised, this is the proof point of resurrection, you see. It's the idea of moving from point A to point B, of conquering death itself. And there has to be a proof point. There has to be a forerunner. 
and our forerunner, our leader, is Christ. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Again, Jesus led Martha's thinking the way his Spirit's leading yours right now during this message. Again, look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that last phrase is, is really critical. Do you believe this? Take that upon yourself. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he was able to conquer death? Um, because if you don't, if, if, if you don't have that, then what does that say about your faith? Well, the Bible says that faith is in vain. If that resurrection doesn't exist per se, uh, then that faith is in vain. So do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent to die for your sins, conquered death itself? Do you believe that? And is leading you out of the throes of death to eternal life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was resurrected from the grave to prove his victory to you and all of creation? Do you believe that? Therein lies the strength, my friends, of your conviction on salvation itself. Do you see what salvation is without resurrection? It's vapid. There's no proof, right? Uh, he was raised, as the Bible says, for our justification, so that we're justified, that our faith is justified, that our hope is justified, that we have real proof. So therein lies the strength of our conviction and salvation itself. Again, the point on the board, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Without Christ's resurrection, he'd still be held captive by death in the grave. But here's the truth. Our leader is our overcomer. Our leader overcame death. The Apostle John had the incredible privilege of recording the Lord's words on this topic. Go to Revelation 1, verse 17. Revelation 1, verse 17 our leader, the one that leads us from point A to point B, from death to life, right? Big picture, uh, is our overcomer. He's the one who overcame death itself. Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You catch that? I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Drop the mic, right? Booyah. The only person to ever be powerful enough to overcome death itself is the one, listen, is the one who has called us to follow him. Do you see the difference between a true leader and a false one? Let me say that again. The only person to ever be powerful enough to overcome death itself is the same one who has called us to follow him. How beautiful is that? 
That's a real leader. That's the one who has already carved the pathway for us. You see it? Has overcome death itself and then said, hey, come follow me. You want to you wanna move from point A to point B? I just showed you the way. Follow me. So let's reflect on this. If, if the rapture of the church doesn't happen first, we're all going to die and go in the grave, right? The good news is that since our leader has the keys of death, he is able to and will do so resurrect believers to a position of eternal victory over death. Again, the good news, my friends, this is part of the gospel proper even. The good news is that since our leader has the keys of death, he is able to and will do so resurrect believers to a position of eternal victory over death. How beautiful is that? So let's read the passage that pulls all of this together. Uh, now go to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. And I apologize about my voice. I went uh, for an exercise run right before I recorded this and my allergies are sort of spiked. So my apologies about my raspy voice. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. This passage really is uh, probably uh, the most common taught, I would think, on Resurrection Sunday across the globe. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. So it's important to understand that the gospel, uh, the, the gospel itself, uh, the linchpin of it, is the resurrection. That's why it's mentioned even here in this version of the gospel, right? Sort of truncated version of it. Verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Do you think it I mean, just look at the pattern already. We haven't even finished. Do you think it's important that God the Holy Spirit uh, authored the Bible uh, with these accounts being recorded? Do you think it, do you think there's a reason why he wants us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was actually resurrected? <laughs> then he appeared to James and all to all the apostles, verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, Paul writing, of course, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you, so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the day? This was a contention uh, during this time, it's part of the context of this passage. Some were actually saying there's no such thing as resurrection. But if there is no such, look at verse 13. 
so Paul, you know, does this, you know, analytical, logical, you know, supposition game. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you see how important it is that the resurrection be uh, real? Uh, again, and if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if you're... If you have, you know, proper, your supposition that there's no such thing as resurrection, then your, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Uh, we need the resurrection. It's part of the gospel message. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, so he continues with this supposition, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ, look at verse 17, oh, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Do you see that? In other words, the whole thing's off. The whole bet's off. The gospel's a lie. You are still in your sins. You're stuck at point A. You're stuck. There's no leader because the leader was a farce. Do you understand? That's what Paul is unraveling. He's saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then there is no gospel truth that we can cling to. And so, therefore, we're all going to die in our sins because apparently uh, Jesus Christ is a liar. Again, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That means you're stuck at point A, the way you were born. Then those who also, and then those also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, they never got out of point A. They never got eternal life. They're stuck. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is where he moves to the affirmative. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, he is our leader. For as by a man came death, by a man has, also, or has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, uh, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Let's jump forward to verse 40. Verse 40, for the sake of time, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and this is the beauty of this passage, my friends, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks be to God, my friends, for this indescribable gift. Amen. Thanks be to God for his leadership. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, uh, it's time. We're going to uh, enjoy our own special communion service right now. Didn't want to miss this opportunity. I wish we were together. I wish I was looking at your faces, but uh, God has different plans. Doesn't mean that we have to uh, be thwarted in breaking bread this way together. So please have the bread or the cracker or the equivalent and the wine, the juice, and equivalent ready, okay? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the person of Jesus Christ, especially on this Resurrection Sunday. Let us eat the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of his work. Let us drink the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I wish you all a happy and healthy Resurrection Sunday celebration. Uh, I miss you all. And I love you all. God bless. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our true leader, the one that leads us from death to life, the only one that's able to stake a claim to have overcome death itself, Father. Thank you.
for giving us this life in him, this hope in him, Father. We just pray that our hearts remain steadfast and true and immovable uh, during this celebration time. We just pray for each other. We pray for the steadfastness and the faith of each other, Father. And we just can't wait uh, to celebrate and to fellowship, uh, maybe even the way we used to, Father. We're just really looking forward to it uh, someday soon. Your will be done, of course. We just pray all these things, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.